Oh, well, that song was pretty good. The first one, not so much. I don't know if you know this, but that was a mess. Uh, <clears throat> if, if you're a musician, then you don't know what I'm talking about. And you know why I need a vacation. <laughs> and if you're not a musician, then you don't know why it was a mess, but you probably still need a vacation. So, um, I, I'm tempted, I said to Luke this morning, I'm tempted to rush through the sermon to end the service a little bit early so that I can go on vacation a little bit sooner. But let's be honest, <laughs> I'm a preacher, and I'll probably take more than my fair share of time. <laughs> there was a time I gathered some of the young adults together, and I was explaining how I felt badly that that morning I had preached so long. I said, it was 38 minutes. And they were like, 38 minutes? That's nothing. And then I was like, yeah, like, with the prayer. And they were like, oh, with the prayer. <laughs> that doesn't count. So Anyway, um, <laughs> let's just have fun this morning. Uh, we're in a series now called Life and Doctrine. Let me take you to the verse that kind of founds, you know, gives us orientation and direction for where we're going. First uh, Timothy 4.16, this is Paul teaching his young protege, Timothy, and he's encouraging him with these words. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, doctrine really just simply means the teaching, the truth. Make sure that you are committed to the truth and your teaching is sound and good. But make sure that it's deeply integrated with your life as well. And so what we're doing in this series is talking about doctrine, the teaching of the church. And we're trying to focus on the main sort of historical, the foundations of what we believe the big things, the most important things. But not just talk about ideas and teaching, but integrate it deeply into our lives. Because if the things that we think and believe in our faith don't somehow reflect into the way we live, they really don't matter to us. And they don't give us the life that God intended. So that's our focus here. And we're going to jump right into creation today. So I'm, what I've been tending to do is give sort of a summary definition so to speak, of a particular teaching. And then I'll walk through breaking it down part by part. So, creation. Before anything, God was. God created out of nothing. God is the source of all that exists. All that God created was good. God sustains creation as the first and only source of life, all meaning, purpose, and identity, come from God, and life is intended to be lived God's way. Now, when we start the conversation on creation, I don't know about you and what sort of frame of reference you bring to it, but for me, when, especially when I was a young person growing up in the, the church, but also just in my life, in, in the conversation at large, there was a lot of talk about creation and evolution and science and faith. Were they opposed to each other? Was one in contradiction of the other? Could you somehow believe in science and also have a deep and abiding faith in Jesus? Or were these two things mutually exclusive? In fact, the, the conversation was sometimes quite heated. You couldn't believe what the scientists were telling you and also believe in the words of the Bible. And even as a young person, that didn't strike me as true. 
And so I want to take just a moment before we go any further and look at a couple of quotes by you know, great scientists who also have had faith. And these are men well-respected in their profession. Unfortunately, I only have men as quotes here. But let me read a couple of them for you. The first is from Francis Collins, which I'll mention, if you've ever been a part of the Alpha program, Francis makes an appearance there, a fantastic one, and he speaks very eloquently on the subject of faith and science. Uh, if you've never been to Alpha, Alpha is a great exploration of what Christians believe. It's a video-based series where there's community and food, and if it ever comes up again, we have it on our calendar, I'd encourage you to sign up. So Francis Collin, he's the director of human, the Human Genome Project, among other things, and he wrote a book called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. Here's what he says. In my view, there is no conflict in being a rigorous scientist and a person who believes in a God who takes a personal interest in each one of us. Science's domain is to explore nature. God's domain is in the spiritual world, a realm not possible to explore with the tools and language of science. It must be examined with the heart, the mind, and the soul. So he's saying that simply science and faith speak to different aspects of our existence. Now, as a Christian, I think we would also say that all aspects of scientific thought are within the possibility of understanding through faith as well. But here, here's a, here's a great scientist saying, these things aren't mutually exclusive. Furthermore, here's a quote from uh, someone else. I don't remember his name. Ernest Walton. He was a physicist who won the 1951 Nobel Prize in Physics. He says, one way to learn the mind of the creator is to study his creation, which is the work of science, of course. We must pay God the compliment of studying his work of art, and this should apply to all realms of human thought. A refusal to use our intelligence honestly is an act of contempt for him who gave us that intelligence. So in other words, he's saying, if God gave you a mind, it would be dishonoring to him not to use it. And pursuing him with our mind is a worthy pursuit. In fact, it won't lead us further away from God. It'll bring us closer to him. So whether or not the, that sort of conversation of the conflict, so to speak, of science and faith is one that resonates for you, I want to start with that background so that you've heard uh, there is a reasonableness to this. And science and religion are speaking about things from different perspectives. And the Bible doesn't, it's not a scientific textbook. And if we approach it with the wrong questions, we'll get the wrong answers. But it speaks to a truth and a reality that we cannot fully measure by the scientific method. And so with that said, let's continue on in exploring what the Bible says about God who is a creator and what that means for us as we live. Let's go on now to breaking down that initial summary. Before anything, God was. God created out of nothing, and God is the source of all that exists. Now, normally people would begin with the first pages of the Bible, and for good reason. We're going to be there shortly. But what I want to first do is take you to Colossians chapter 1, where it talks about Christ. And the reason I start here is because we began the series by talking about the Trinity, God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one God. And when I describe the Trinity for you, I want you to remember 
that God existed without need for anything else. He didn't need to create. He didn't have a need to be fulfilled in some way. He existed three in one together in perfect community, which is love. But out of that love, he chose to do something. He chose to act. And so now here in Colossians, we see a little bit more clearly how God the Father and Christ are working together in creation. We don't see the Holy Spirit at work in here, but trust me, the Spirit is at work in the text as well. In this passage we read, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. That's a statement of purpose. The whole of creation was created for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now, this is speaking specifically about Christ, and it's making sure that we understand he was not a creation. That Jesus has existed as the Son before anything else was made. Jesus, the Son, was not created by the Father. They are co-eternal, co-equal, to use some fancy language. So Christ is the visible individual. He existed before anything was created. In other words, you know, he's not a creation. And is supreme over all creation. God created everything through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. So even before anything else began, God was. God was. And God created out of nothing. When you and I create, it's not like how God creates. I use a pen and paper. I use an instrument, a melody, air, to reverberate with sound. I don't know if reverberate's a word, but let's pretend it is. Reverberate? Thank you. How much time? All right. Um, (laughs) So God creates out of nothing, whereas we need something to get started. God doesn't need anything to get going. He is able to create. Now, some people want to correlate that to what scientists call the Big Bang, and maybe reasonably so. When God creates, there's nothing, and then suddenly there is something. When you and I create, we have to work with the materials God has made. But God makes something out of nothing. Such is his power. God is the source of all that exists. If you see something, if there's anything, it's something God made. Now, we might want to begin to try to attach a moral quality to each of those things, but before you go down that road, just wait until we read the next section. So God creates out of nothing, and all of it is made through him and for him. Now, I've said before that because we've seen Jesus in the flesh, the Son of God in the flesh, we see actually a pattern for human life. It's almost as if, you know, do you remember those Play-Doh sets when you were a child, or maybe your grandchild had one, or your your child? And you sort of take a template and you stamp out a, a shape, maybe a human shape. Jesus is the shape by which we are formed. We have a body because he had a body. We have physical existence because he willed it to be so. 
You can also see this, uh, I'm not going to read it for you today, but John 1, verses 1 to 3, it starts with, in the beginning was. But that's a reference to a previous verse of Scripture, which we're going to go to now. Let's go here. God is the source of all that exists, and all that God created was good. Genesis 1.1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. We could stop there and say, before anything else, God. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which is a big way of saying absolutely everything. It's like A to Z, Alpha Omega. Does that language ring any bells? Absolutely everything was created by God. And at the end of that chapter, as it's coming to a conclusion, it says this, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Notice, he saw. He didn't just simply look at it and say, hey, I'm calling this good. He looked at it and he noticed something about it. He noticed it was good. Why is that important? Well, because God is God. Everything he does is good. He can't make something that's not good. So everything is imbued with his character. His thumbprint is upon all of creation. And when he looks at what he's created, he says, it is good. Now, this is a beautiful thing for us. This is a foundational thing for much of our understanding about the world and much of our faith, is that when God created it, he didn't make it a mess. There wasn't some flaw in the system. There wasn't some hidden evil or bad. It was all good. Everything that he created was good. God looked over all he'd made and he saw that it was very good. God is the source of all that exists and all that God created was good. Let's keep going. God sustains creation. Now, last week I talked about Scripture and I talked about how human beings were made to live by the Spirit of God. And the image in Scripture for Spirit is often breath. And throughout the scriptures, we hear this breath being referenced as a way of being reminded that we live by God's breath. We live by what God provides for us. And we're really only living if it's him that's sustaining us. But here's a passage from Psalms that talks about how God is sustaining all of his creation by his breath. Psalm 104, verses 24, 27 to 31. O oh Lord, what a variety of things you have made. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. The Christian understanding of what God has created is not only that he is the source of it, but that God delights in it. He loves his creation. He loves you. He doesn't look at you and me and say, 
Eh, not my best work. I know some of you are trying not to look at the person beside you. God looks at all that he has made and says that it is good. He saw that it was good. And he delights in his creation. Now, there have been a couple problems that have happened since that initial creation. And that we'll get into a little bit more next week when Pastor Dana speaks. But when God creates, he created all good. His design is not flawed. He takes pleasure in providing and maintaining and having an ongoing relationship with everything he made. That's how God wanted it to be. He didn't just sort of create it and say, well, see you later, that was fun. His plan and intention for you, for me, for all that exists, was that all of it would operate fully, completely, independence on him in a wonderful, dynamic, back-and-forth relationship. That he would be known by his creation and enjoyed by his creation. And that he, in turn, would know and be delighted by his creation. That might already begin to tweak your mind, to begin to think, is it true that God actually even cares, much less delights in me, us, this world? That he wants to be involved. But this is deeply, deeply ingrained into Christian teaching. And we can't remove from that. There's going to be a lot of implications for this. We'll see it a little bit later. But God is intimately involved in sustaining his creation. Uh, Earlier, we heard the verse that says that Christ holds it all together. So it's not just that God created it like a clock, wound it up, and let it go, as the analogy sometimes happens in philosophy, but rather that God is deeply integrated in how it functions, how it exists, cares about it, it's good, and wants to be involved in you, in me, in us, in all that he's made. Let's continue on. All meaning, purpose, and identity come from God. Look at Genesis 1 again, back in that first chapter of the Bible, verses 26 and 28. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Here, we're seeing God giving a command to human beings. Now, first of all, he's creating them like himself. We are a reflection of God's own image. And God creates us with purpose and intention. We, as a reflection of God, are meant to be involved in creation, in working it and making it even more than it already is. We're not creating out of nothing now but we're using the materials he's provided to create an even greater thing within the world. God wanted to watch and see how we would develop it and care for it. In fact, the word till the soil that will come up later means serve. Human beings were created to serve the creation, to work the earth, to improve upon it, to make it better, to be a blessing to it. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. 
So human beings were created with uh, the purpose of caring for creation. Caring for one another. Like God himself as a community of love, the initial human beings, we're told, were created to be in love with each other and in love with God and in a loving, caring relationship with the earth. All together working in this beautiful harmony which we call in the Bible, shalom, peace, shalom, wholeness, life, flourishing. Acts says it this way, and here Paul is talking to some people who don't know God, but he's trying to bridge a connection between the two of them and talking about um, the God that they perceive yet don't know by name. And Paul begins to talk about it this way. He says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. In him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We are created to be an image of God, to be his children, to function with his purposes for us, to live in a good world that he created, and to do even gooder things with it. (laughs) I know that's not a word, but I use that one on purpose. God's design was good. His calling upon us was good, and his intention for us was to make things even better. That God would allow us a space to flourish, to be alive, to work hard, yes, but to enjoy that work because it has meaning, and it's life-giving. That was his design from the beginning. And as we do that, with his breath in our lungs, ah, that's life. Maybe you've caught a glimpse of what that kind of life is already like. When you have one of those days where you just kind of get lost in what you're doing and hours pass. And then you go, where did the time go? That's what it was meant to be like from the very beginning. That we would have good work that was purposeful and meaningful and brought delight to us because it was good. Not burdensome and exhausting and wearing us out and mind-numbingly boring. But God imbues all of it with meaning. He declares it has a moral value, that it is good. He declares that we have an identity, that it's His children. We bear His image, His mark. We are like Him. That He has made everything good. That we have purpose because of that. And this is why creation as a doctrine is so important because it touches on so many things of our human experience, who we are as people, what we are meant to do, what it means for us to live and to live well. And if we don't get this right, if we don't understand the scriptures clearly on this, we don't understand what God has shown us and we don't live. Let's keep going. Life is intended to be lived God's way. Well, if God created the world with meaning and purpose... He has a design for it, then we should live it in his way. Doesn't that just kind of logically flow? Well, that's what Christians teach. And so life is intended to be lived God's way. In fact, I've talked sometimes about what does it mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. And the way that I've defined it for you in a very simple way is to say that the kingdom of God is where God is present and life is lived God's way. That's essentially what the kingdom is about. And God created the world to be his kingdom, a place where he was present and his breath was so near to us that it was in our lungs and that life was lived his way. 
kingdom come, heaven on earth. You might even remember when we talked about Revelation, what's the final picture of the Bible? Kingdom come, heaven on earth, God and humanity living together as one, the way it was always intended to be. All right. So life is intended to be lived God's way. Isaiah 45, 9, and then also verse 18. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in not to be a place of empty chaos. And it's tempting as we look at the world around us today in disarray often, especially now in the midst of a global pandemic, to think that God made a mess of it all. Well, spoiler alert for next week, we're the ones who made a mess. But God created it good. And he didn't create it to be empty. He created it to be full. And he didn't create it to be a mess and jagged with unclear boundaries, and no, instead he created it with form, with purpose and meaning. And he designed and arranged every aspect of it well. Uh, The beginning narrative of Genesis 1-2 talks about God uh, looking over and seeing the earth was formless and void. It had no container and it was empty. It was formless and void. And then what we see over the next three days is he creates form, containers, and then over the next three days he fills each of those containers. So he gives it shape and definition, constraints, and he fills it to the brim. Now that's another sermon for another day. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that just now. But God created it to be full and alive and flourishing. Psalm 119, verse 73 says, You made me. You created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. God created the world to be a place of goodness, to be a place of life and flourishing and blessing. A place where our service itself gives us life. Wouldn't it simply make sense if we did what he told us to do? He made it to work in a certain way. Why wouldn't we try to to live that way? God, you, you created me. You made me. So give me the sense to follow your commands. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Now, when you look at yourself, maybe in the mirror, you look at things in the world, it's tempting to say, why like this? Couldn't you make my nose just a little longer, a little shorter, a little narrower? Couldn't you have made my waist a little wider, a little shorter, a little... Couldn't I have been taller? Couldn't I... God... God created. Don't, as the pot, say to the Creator, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Don't rail against what's here and now, who you have been shaped to be recognize the reality of your identity in him as his offspring. You are created in the image of God. Now that might not be so much your physical, maybe maybe you could go to the gym. Maybe you could stand to cut your hair. Maybe you could take care of yourself a little better. But you're never going to be taller. 
You're never going to put another hair on your head. But recognize your identity not in your appearance, not in what you're good at or what you have accomplished. Recognize your identity is in relationship with him as an image bearer, as a child who is loved and who is good. When we have that understanding of who we are and how the world is, it changes everything. This is an important doctrine. Now, let's look at here at the next slide. Uh, what I want to show you is some of the implications of the doctrine of creation. Because if we don't have this understanding that God created and he made all of this and with design and purpose and meaning, then it's gonna, we're going to fall short in a lot of other areas of life because it's so foundational. If we don't recognize that all human beings are created in the image of God as good, then we have the ability to look at someone else and say, you don't matter. Or I'm more valuable than you. And that's false. That's wrong according to the teaching of Scripture. There's no race. There's no height. There's no gender that's better than the other. So there's a tremendous implication for justice and a sense of human dignity that is deeply rooted in Christian teaching. And I'll tell you, my understanding of a lot of other moral frameworks of the world is none of them hold a candle to what the Christian teaching is on creation. Why is it that we respect all human beings? What's well, a Christian idea? Because it comes from all of us being created in God's image. The doctrine of creation also gives us a sense to value our physical bodies. Our bodies actually matter. Our bodies actually matter. And the created world isn't just for us to use up and, and take advantage of and exploit. Our bodies have dignity because God created them as good. And so we take care of them. The world around us, we actually mow our lawn. We work the ground. We plant flowers. We take care of things in the world because all of it is meant to be good. We don't just see it as something that's going to be used up and spit out on the other side. Your body matters. And how you care for it is important. The doctrine of creation gives us the ability to pursue wisdom and to learn how to live skillfully. If the world is created with chaos... Or if it just somehow bubbled together through the courses of eons, we have no basis for believing that there is a way to live in it skillfully. It's all just random. But if we have an understanding that God created with order and purpose and meaning, then we can believe that all of it can fit together and that there is a way to live in it well. Which is also our basis for scientific reasoning. Science depends on the idea that the world was created with order, that things are predictable, that we can measure, we can define, that things are repeatable, that there are laws of the universe that are repeatable and measurable. And that scientific reasoning that many of us put trust in is only foundationally possible because of what Christians believe. It's philosophically Deeply rooted in what science is. You can't have science without this fact. Throughout history, most of the greatest scientists have been people of faith. And they were motivated by their desire to know the world because it was a way of knowing its creator. Human calling and purpose. It gives us a basis for understanding that we have a reason to be in this world. And that we have something that we're supposed to do while we're here. Work can be meaningful in the Christian understanding because we see that God created with a calling. 
that we have our own little plot of earth, so to speak, however symbolically or metaphorically you might take that for your work. We have our own plot of earth to work and to make something even more beautiful. But that's a Christian idea. If we don't understand the doctrine of creation, then we're not going to understand what sin is or what the curse is upon the world. We're not going to understand what it means to be saved or the end times, what it's going to mean for God to put it all back together and renew all things, to make all things new. We're going to think that it's about escaping this world because this world is bad. That creation, the things that we see around us are are something that's bad that's going to get thrown away and we're just going to be spiritual bodies. That's not what the Bible teaches. We just went through Revelation and now I'm speaking quickly because I'm still trying to get to the end and I want to go home. (laughs) But when we got to the end of Revelation, what did we see? It doesn't end with the world being destroyed. It It ends with it being made new as the place for God and humanity to exist together as one. This is a beautiful picture. But if we don't understand what creation is and where it's going, we're going to think it's useless and we can trash it. We can make witness publicly to all who are made in God's image. Now, this, if, if we think that some people in the world are lesser than us, we're not going to tell them about Jesus. We're not going to tell them about the truth. We're not going to guide them into reality. If we don't have an understanding of what creation is all about and how God created us, we're not going to tell the right people. We're not going to tell everybody. Culture making becomes important. It actually becomes important for us to do things, to make art that's beautiful, because we see that God did that. He created things in a way that's good, and we can reflect that character by making things that are beautiful in the world just to be enjoyed and delighted in. And creation care versus exploitation, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, it becomes important for us when we have an understanding of creation to take care of the world, not just to not just to take from it and destroy it. We should be concerned when human beings are damaging the physical environment around us. The implications of creation as a doctrine are profound because they play itself out in so many ways that we live. Now, this is a a doctrine that I think is so important. I'm actually going to take our summer this year to talk through some of these implications on the screen because I think they're so important. And some of you know about one of these things or two of these things especially well. Maybe you're a gardener. Maybe you're an artist. Maybe you work in justice. Maybe you work in one of these areas and ways that I've mentioned. If that's you, I would love to have a conversation with you and to be able to invite you into those conversations in the future. Because I think it'll be great to hear your voice sharing some of these thoughts as well. Because guess what? You were made in God's image, so you've got a reason to speak. Okay, let's just end now with a a verse and another quote, I think, on the last slide. Bringing this all back together, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There's one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Are you living through the life of Jesus? As I've mentioned The world was created good, but bad things have happened since. And that story will be more at the fore next week. And now we're living in some mess, but it's possible to find life, to be renewed. Are you living through Jesus? Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said, I may know all the doctrines in the Bible, but unless I know Christ, there is not one of them that can save me. 
Do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with the creator of the world? You were formed in his image, but are you reflecting his nature and his life? Are you living by his breath? May it be so. I would invite you to have that conversation with me in a week's time or immediately following the service. But let's have that conversation. If you have lived on your own strength, not the breath of God, if you have not yet surrendered to his way and are not living according to his designs and intentions for you, why not? You're missing out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you show us your Father. Thank you that the Spirit, as breath in our lungs, gives us life and allows us to live in a new way. And thank you that we can experience this created world as good, though there is evil and bad in it now, because we've gone astray from your intentions for it. Help us to live by your breath and to live in such a way that others see that a relationship with you is life-giving and gives us a foundation for understanding all that we have around us, to interact with it, to enjoy it, to be a blessing to it, to work within it and serve it, and to know your goodness in all things. You said that you make all things new. Begin that now within us. You are great and wonderful and loving and good and kind. You are all that we need, and so we trust in you as you delight in us, your children. Amen.